Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. This week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallup Anderson. Stop it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Wild and crazy times in the NBA. Seku Smith of the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, my partner in crime, sir. Yo. Hold on to your hat. Um, you you t- took vacation at the wrong time. We had to we had to draft you back into service here. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Mrs. Whitaker is not happy, but tell her we apologize. It couldn't be helped. She's on the beach. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here in the condo on with my headset on. Nice, nice. Podcasting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, anytime your favorite team pulls off the kind of moves uh, it pulled off, they pulled off yesterday. Uh, Danny Ferry unloading Joe Johnson in the four years and uh, nearly ninety million dollars remaining on his deal, trading away Marvin Williams. Clearing out $105 million in, in cap space, stoking the flames and the fires of a potential return home for Dwight Howard or Chris Paul in free agency next year. All the possibilities. Lang, how, uh, how excited were you initially just at the prospects of, of what could go on? I have, I have a lot of thoughts about all this. <laughs> um, to begin with, you know, I, I think, Excited is probably not the right word, just mm-hmm. because I think losing Joe Johnson means something. Yeah, um, you know, Joe kind of you know he signed that big contract two summers ago, and he that's kind of come to define him the last couple of years. And I think um, you know if you throw that contract out, yeah. you're losing you're losing an all star guard and the best player on the team, best all around player, um, best scorer, and the guy who was pretty much game planned for and doubled every night. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he took those double teams and he, you know, would pass out of it or, you know, whatever. But so you're losing a, a very important player from a basketball standpoint, you know, financially, 
I'm glad that the Hawks are out from underneath that contract. You know, I, I told you, I said it on this podcast last year, the one thing with contracts in the NBA, you can always trade a contract. Yeah. People, people were like, you know, he's, they, they signed Joe to this big deal and they're never going to get rid of it. And, you know, they're going to be trapped underneath this at the end of it when he gets older. And, you know, in the NBA, you only, you only need one team. There's 29 of them out there that you can talk to. That's right. Um, so I've always thought, like, the contract wasn't that big a deal. You know, they got it. They signed it. They kept him. And then when they decided to do something else, they moved him. So, um, but I, I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of sad to see Joe leave only because, you know, he came – you were around then after that after that 13 win season yeah and he kind of helped make them what they are now um, yeah he came when nobody else would come yeah exactly yeah when and they he, chased other free agents and nobody would sign up you know they some people tell you they overpaid but i tell you in in retrospect they they hit a home run because they gave him the kind of money it takes to put a guy in position to carry a franchise out of that darkness and joe was willing to do it and not only was he willing to do it, that but he had to wait because he almost yeah. <laughs> he did split the ownership in half, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do, and he was willing to wait and sit through all that, and 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 he came, and you know, so I I, I really have nothing but respect for him, right, um, right, for coming into. I mean, he, he, his first three years, he didn't average less than forty minutes a game. Um, yeah, they rode him like a pack mule, and and yeah, you mentioned I covered the team when you know in Joe's, Joe's first seasons here. I can't imagine a more stressful situation for a guy who's who hasn't, or at least at the time, hadn't been a number one guy. You know, when he got here, it wasn't like he was leaving Phoenix as their their superstar player. Right. He was coming here and stepping into a, a completely different role, um, being asked to play to point not, guard. Yeah, being asked to play <laughs> out of position with with a cast of rookies and free agents and castoffs. You know, that really didn't lend itself to. Uh, the kind of wise career move that a lot of people thought he should have made by yeah. staying in Phoenix with Amari and Nash and Sean Marion and that crew. Um, I tweeted out yesterday when when the you know the agreement was was publicized that all the people that want to knock Joe Johnson for his contract need to remember, and specifically Hawks fans, they need to remember all of the good that came of Joe Johnson coming to Atlanta. Um, yeah. I've never knocked a player for how much money he makes never will because they don't write their own checks. I mean, they're not telling telling somebody, hey, you're going to pay me this, and that's how it works. Somebody has to pay these guys. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to be upset or if you want to knock somebody, knock the franchise. And and that lang leads me to um, Danny Ferry, who, in my eyes, he he cleaned up the two most glaring mistakes of his predecessors billy knight and uh and rick son and some people would i got some blowback from people about that people wanted to argue billy's biggest gaffes and uh clearly there were more than a couple so but i felt like you know you you look back now and drafting marvin williams who i I love marvin great guy yeah um so i'm not knocking him at all but you you look back and you draft marvin ahead of darren williams and chris paul and and that's a mistake that haunts you this many years later and ends up costing you millions in, in a search for another point guard. And then the huge contract Rick son gave to Joe Johnson, Danny Ferry cleaned both those things up in basically eight days. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'll say this about Marvin is, is 
taking Marvin over Chris Paul and Darren Williams, as you said, you know, that's the kind of thing that haunts the franchise. But I think in a way it also kind of haunted Marvin. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that he was ever able to overcome that stigma of being that guy. Um, you know, and it wasn't his fault is that, you know, I'm sure he wanted to get drafted as high as he could get drafted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I was talking to, to someone in, in Utah last night and I was saying that, you know, I mean, Marvin's still 26 years. He just turned 26. Yeah. Um, he's a kid. He's, I think he can be a really good role player in the NBA. Uh, you know, a guy who can, he's a good defender. He's gotten better and better every year on those jump shots, especially from the corners now and, and the little mid range jumpers. And I think he's going to be a really good, he could still play another decade in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but he's not going to be Chris Paul and he's not going to be Darren Williams. Never. And, I, and that's what, um, for I think Hawks, um, some Hawks fans, that's the one thing that they always held against him. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, every year we, we try and determine how zany free agency is after the first couple of days, but this one feels, even without the, you know, the dozens of big-name players. I mean, a couple of years ago we obviously had a huge free agent summer. You know, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, you know, on and on. Joe Johnson, as we mentioned, on and on. Amari Stoudemire, all these different names floating around. This one was not supposed to be this crazy. You know, Darren Williams, once once Dwight decided, you know, he was going to, you know, sign that, that waiver to opt out, you know, to, to opt in, rather, with the Magic and stay in front of you, that was supposed to take some of the steam out of the free agent summer. It's It's been bonkers. I mean, I haven't slept for more than about <laughs> three hours at a time since, uh, you know, last Friday, just trying to, you know, keep my eyes open and stay on top of all the crazy stuff that's going on. Some of the other stuff is, I think, that we didn't think was going to be so crazy has turned into, like, bigger, like, the Steve Nash story now. And the, yeah. You know, Landry Fields. There, I mean, there's all the Omer Asik, this huge contract he's talking. I mean, there's all these different stories that I don't think anyone really saw coming that have uh, kind of shaken everything up. But I do. I mean, I, don't you think this, this what Danny Ferry has done has got to be like the story of the offseason so far? Absolutely. And, it, and a lot depends on what else he does. Um, yeah. You know, what what else gets done between now and... And when the you know when Darren Williams makes his decision and whatever happens with Dwight happens, um, because as I was telling somebody earlier, and I, and I was at the barber shop earlier today, and uh, I go to the same barber here in um, in Atlanta, in where I live outside of the city of Atlanta in Smyrna, uh, every week. So like I know everybody that's in there. Um, it's very rare that I go in there and we talk basketball the entire time I'm in there because there's so many other conversations going on. I hit the door today, and I'm telling you, I couldn't even get to my chair to sit down before they started lighting me up about <laughs> about free agency. You right. know, like, why in the world? Would, you know, first thing I somebody's mind, why in the world would the Celtics give Kevin Garnett all that money? You know I mean? And, and the conversation just flowed from there. So I think, as somebody tweeted earlier, the NBA offseason sometimes – is just as sexy in its own right as the the on court season, um, and and I think there's some merit to that only because there's free agency in every sport, but it's not the spectacle it is in other sports the way it is in the NBA, namely because you have every year you're going to have these huge names contemplating what to do, and it plays out for everybody to see after the after the first of July like a holiday. I mean, you you can't ask for better 
the nonstop attention about the league <laughs> from from the time we hit the playoffs until uh, you know free agency dies down. And this summer we get the double whammy of having the Olympics on top yep. of it. So. And no one can actually sign these deals until the 11th, right? So so people are going to still just talk and talk and talk until a, a week from tomorrow. Yes, yes. So. Um, now, you know, we, and, and Dwight's name obviously has been hot since training camp, you know, when the first word of his trade uh, demand, you know, surfaced. What, how do you look at this situation with Dwight now in, in – try and get a grasp on what is going on. I mean, you've you've obviously known of and known Dwight for a long time um and and know his roots here in the city of Atlanta. Does I mean, does this does this make you nervous at all just what is going on with him and how how his image is changing, you know, no matter you know, no matter what he says, his image is changing in the in the you know, in the view of other people. I don't know that it's changing, like, in the view of the, the casual NBA fan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or the casual sports fan, I should right, say. I, right. I think that maybe, you know, the hardcore NBA fans look at all this and they're like, you know, make a decision, make up your mind, what's going on here. But right. I think for the most part, the, the, the casual sports fan is just kind of sees this and doesn't. It's not the spectacle that the decision was with LeBron. That was right. a kind of thing that reached – out past sports and even people who don't follow sports heard about this and saw it and yeah um, you know what i mean and so for dwight i think this is more of a thing that nba fans look at and like come on dude what's going on here um and for people like us who cover the league who've been following this story now for you know two years and you're like what's the deal what's happening here but i don't think it's having that big of an effect outside of the basketball world maybe i'm wrong yeah but yeah, I, I agree. I don't know that it's on the same scale um, amongst the general public as uh, the decision was. That was a much different animal. And LeBron, you know, his profile is popular as Dwight is. Um, he's a leading vote getter, uh, you know, in the All Star ballot this year um, overall. I believe. I think. I think he had the most votes of anyone. He LeBron's name still resonates first and foremost with with basketball fans and and pop culture fans and whatever. You know more so than than Dwight's does. the The thing I was getting at as well is just you know when you take the pulse of people, um, just you know that you bump into around places and in everyday life, it, it surprised me. You know the negative tone people are speaking about Dwight, and because for years he had been the one guy who had avoided a lot of that. Um, yeah, and this inevitably, you know, my thing is like free agency. Every player earns the right to be a free agent, you know, at some point or another in his career. I mean, if you if you play long enough, you will be a free agent, whether it's restricted or unrestricted. You're going to hit free agency at some time. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a better way to – is there a better way to handle it when you're a superstar <laughs> player and you may have a wandering eye and want to play somewhere else? I don't know what else they could do. Well, I mean, look at a Steve Nash or look at a uh, – I mean, you know, Nash – left Dallas years ago yeah. went to Phoenix. Um, I mean, look at Chris Paul, you know, who, who basically forced his way out of New Orleans to, to Los Angeles. Carmelo, the same thing. He but Chris Paul kind of didn't come off the way Carmelo or LeBron ended up coming off when they swapped teams. You know right, what I mean? I, right. I don't really know how he managed to do that. It was quick. It was fast. Maybe that's a key to it. Right. Um, but it didn't have the same kind of reaction that, that Carmelo got and, and that LeBron got. Um, 
I, I, I'm really curious now what happens with Dwight. You know, what what happens to the Magic? What team does Dwight end up on? And, you know, is it, does he sign a one-year does he go somewhere as a rental basically for a year and then go somewhere else after that? Or or what's going to happen from this point forward? No, exactly. That's a great question. And, um, it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons we pulled you out of uh, vacation bliss today, because we got to get some answers to to those questions and more. Lang, you, you mentioned, uh, questions about Dwight Howard situation in Orlando. These are questions that our first guest has been contemplating, for quite some time. <laughs> Brian Schmitz of the Orlando Sentinels join us. Brian, first and foremost, uh, happy 4th of July to you, my man. Happy 4th to you, man. <laughs> won't be Independence Day for Dwight, so. I know you won't be eating hot dogs on the 4th. You'll be hustling probably and uh, <laughs> making fun of Oh, man, I tell you, this story just never ends. It's just the, the world's biggest soap opera. How, how did this thing get this spiral this far out of control? B? I mean, when did it when did it become clear to you that this was going to end in a nasty breakup between Dwight and uh, the Magic well, in the city of Orlando? Take you, I think, in training camp. Obviously, when Dwight delivered his his trade demand list, mm-hmm. uh, that that fired the first salvo. Obviously, right. But then we saw all the all the dramatics during the season. Dwight's relationship with his teammates, the fiasco with Stan Van Gundy, and just on and on. He goes to L.A. for the back surgery. But what really complicated things and why it's got to where it is now, because in March, for some reason, only known to Dwight Howard, instead of being traded to another team, he opts in for one more season. Yeah. And – Anybody to blame right now, it's on Dwight's doorstep because he could have been a free agent. He could have been signed and sealed and headed to Jay-Z's party in Brooklyn. (laughs) Well, Sekou mentioned this turning into this nasty situation, Brian. I mean, what is the most likely to you outcome of this? And is there any way to sort of salvage what this has become? Well, for the Magic, that's what it's all about now is salvaging something out of it. And the top of that is Andrew Bynum. And the bottom, of course, is is taking a deal that you're just stuck with and maybe the best you can get out of it is getting rid of some of your bad contracts. Hmm, you're right. not, you don't want to take other contracts on, obviously, because you're in a major rebuilding mode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, that's why the Magic are holding firm here. They're, they're telling the Nets, hey, that's just not good enough. You're going to have to sweeten the pot with another team, maybe two more teams in this deal. And then they're shaking the tree and trying to get somebody else in, involved. But ultimately, they want to hold out and get Dwight to go to his second option mm-hmm. behind the Nets. And, and and what is what is the clear cut second option for him, Brian? What <laughs> that's a good question. I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard it's Dallas, but I mean that's no different. Dallas right. doesn't have anything beyond Dirk. Right. They have nothing else. They don't have enough cap room, except for one more contract. That's not going to work. Right. Let's face it. The best deal, and Dwight's people know this, because Dan Fagan is an LA resident. 
Right. The best deal is in the city of L.A. Yeah. Whether it's Andrew Bynum or Blake Griffin, <laughs> that is the best deal for everybody involved. Yeah. What are, Except that doesn't doesn't want want to do that right now. Is there still a chance, or is there you know is this an option on the table that he plays for the Orlando Magic this season? Like he's no, <laughs> no, that's okay. that's just it's there's just too much bad blood. There is. Guys, there is stuff that people don't even know about. Mm. I mean, you think it's bad? It, it's 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 worse than you think. Wow. Between Dwight's camp and the Magic. Yeah. I mean, and, and through all this, Brian, no, you know the the fact that they have to find a coach to coach whatever team takes the floor for training camp. That's kind of gotten lost in this whole mess. I mean, where are they in terms of just piecing together the franchise? After, you know, Otis Smith and, and Stan Van Gundy are, are shown the door. Well, they have a, a, a new GM in Ron Hennigan from Oklahoma City. Right. Um, the coaching search, you're exactly right. It's been put way on the back burner. And really, you have to get this Howard thing straightened out. I mean, you can still reach out to coaches. There's no hurry for the Magic either because really – other than the Portland Trailblazers, there's no other team in the league that's interviewing coaches. Right. So Brian Shaw is waiting by the phone. <laughs> and, you know, there aren't too many of these jobs out there. So at this point, you're, you're, gonna have, you have, you're still going to have coaches lined up wanting to coach whatever the magic look like. Yeah. Can you, can you give me a, a good sense, Brian? Uh, and, and Lang mentioned it earlier. That, you know, unlike LeBron's situation where people who didn't know anything about the NBA heard about the decision and the and the blowback from it, Dwight, this whole setup for Dwight seems much more, I don't know if the right word is uh, specific to a, a certain amount of fans or a certain fan base. Like it's the really diehard NBA fans who are dialed into this and, and seem to be showing a lot of outrage. Is this a deal where everybody in the city of Orlando for the however many you know next however many years is going to be at the slightest mention of Dwight's name? They kind of recoil and go, oh, you know, like you know, or is this something that that you think people in Orlando get over if the Magic get back to some semblance of order in the next few years? Well, people here still haven't got over Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> that was sixteen years ago. Yeah. You see, uh, this is what the Magic fans do. They, had, they didn't boo Dwight once all season. Hmm. Here's a guy that's running out on you, doesn't want to be in your city, and they didn't boo this guy. If he were in Philadelphia, he would have gotten sliced and diced. But yeah. these fans are so clueless. They, they didn't, there was not a discouraging word sent his way this season. Yeah. So what fan, Magic fans do is they don't boo you until you come back. <laughs> Shaq, Grant Hill, right. you boo Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady, Penny Hardaway. When you're in another uniform, oh, they're 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 just all over you. So Dwight, Dwight will get it big time when he comes back. It'll be a LeBron type thing. Right. Of course, you won't have to have the added security because <laughs> this is Orlando. <laughs> in in in, retros- in retrospect, Brian. It, as big a miscalculation as Dwight made, obviously, and not making himself available in free agency right now, did the Magic organization also 
err in, in not recognizing just how serious he was about wanting to get out of there. And, and I'm, I say that meaning you heard them talk about, well, you know, we feel confident we can convince him to say that. Did they, did they err in, in assuming their powers of persuasion would convince him to do otherwise? Well, I mean, Dwight, Dwight flip-flops like Romney. <laughs> I mean, I think that was all part of the plan. But, right. you know, he would, when he's with his guys and Dan Fagan, he wants out. When right. he's sitting down across the table from the Magic people, he doesn't want to leave. Right. And it, this carried on, on, and on. The Magic aren't blameless in this thing. Mm. I, think if, I think if you look back, if they'd have somehow gotten him a star sidekick instead of reaching for a Rashard Lewis, a Vince Carter, a Jason Richardson, if they had got him a really solid number two guy, right. and of course by now you still wouldn't be able to compete with the Heat, but let's say instead of taking Fran Vasquez, who didn't even show up, if they'd wow. have taken Danny Granger in that draft, yeah, might have been a whole different story. So they're not blameless as far as getting Dwight help. Dwight didn't get enough help, but Dwight screwed up when he didn't make that a big enough issue. Winning should have been his theme, his talking point from the get-go. Right. But he let it morph into, you know, I want to go to a big market. You know, I want to, and I want to make my brand expand. So, you know, this, this is not the way to become a free agent. Yeah. Dwight Howard did not write that playbook. Right, right. Well, uh, we apologize again, B, for the, uh, the cold <laughs> hot dogs. and, and uh, hey, we'll... As long as you bring the beer, buddy, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, it'll get better, my friend. And we appreciate you uh, coming on with us to, to give us some, some clarity on this whole thing. And we'll see you on TV, uh, I'm sure, my friend, asking questions and uh, – trying to sort out the mess that is uh, the Orlando Magic situation with Dwight Howard. Brian Schmitz of the Orlando Sentinel joining us. Thank you, my man. All right, guys. All right. Lang, I I keep asking myself, you know, and I asked Brian about how, you know, when you go back, all we have is the power of, of, of hindsight to look at these things and say, I never looked at Dwight's situation in Orlando and thought it would get to something like this. He always seemed more than happy battling away down there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss trying to figure out when it goes sour for a guy in a place where it seems like he has everything. I mean, they, they did everything, you know, they spent all sorts of money. They, you know, got a brand new arena. The city adores the guy, you know, adored the guy from the moment he hit, hit Orlando. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know what changes. Well, I'd say they, I wouldn't say they did everything. I'd say they did a lot of things. I'm not saying they got it all right, but I'm saying they That's exhausted the, the <laughs> yeah, they exhausted the 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 possibilities of what they could do. A lot of it blew up on them. I mean, you know, didn't didn't pan out the way they'd imagined, obviously. But it's not like they sat around on their hands and said, "Well, we'll just hope that everybody around here gets better." And you know, I mean, they went out and spent money. Um, some of it wisely, some of it maybe not. But when they, I, th- I mean, really, when they went to the finals, when was that, 2009? Yeah. It, and then that, that summer, they let Hito Turkoglu go. Right. And they didn't pay what, what he got paid, and, and it kind of devolved from there. Yeah, they moved Courtney Lee, who was a young guy who was 
who have played well in the playoffs. I mean, they changed the chemistry definitely after that, yeah. that finals trip. And in no time when they would do these moves, like Brian mentioned, bringing in, you know, Jason Richardson or Vince Carter or Gilbert Arenas or or whoever, you know, the big baby, whoever these different guys have been. And at no point, I don't think, did you hear about whatever the move was and say, oh, this is definitely what they needed to put them over the top. It was always the kind of thing where you were like, well, this could work out, right. you know, in the perfect situation. But right. it, I don't know that they ever – I think they hit a lot of doubles and triples, but they never really hit a home run, so to yeah. speak. I, I wonder, too, how much of this is other players seeing the success that LeBron and, and D. Wade and Bosch have had in Miami, not just winning the championship this year, but last year, the – that uh, guys getting together and playing and instantly becoming, you know, a championship team. You know, I mean, think about it now. Cleveland was was one of the best teams in the league, but failed to get to the to the championship round in LeBron's final seasons there. The Heat, mm-hmm. the Miami Heat, before the Big Three, they were middle of the pack team, and and Toronto wasn't even making the playoffs. So if you're if you're a rival of these guys and you look up and they join forces one summer and automatically play, they're playing in the finals. I'm sure that has a, an effect on you as well. Uh, as somebody that, that knows you have a shelf life on your career and you're competing for it, you know, you want to compete at the highest level. Um, right. I, so I wonder how much of that just kind of taking a look around the room at uh, USA basketball practices and stuff, you know I mean? How much of that, plays into your thinking if you're some of these other guys when you know three and four years out when you'll become a free agent and, and how that that affects you i'm sure i'm sure it has some effect and i'm you know i think you also see some of these teams or, or some of the franchises like a dallas or, or um you know teams that are really proactive and and aren't afraid to spend money and take big chances yeah and, you know, you want to be on a franchise that will do that for you, too. Um, so I think some guys are on, you know, whatever, they're on different teams or whatever, and they, they want to be on teams where they have that opportunity. Right, right. Well, so. Lang, the one person we didn't ask Brian Schmitz about in regards to Dwight and his situation was was your beloved Hawks. We didn't, we didn't ask him where they fit into this puzzle and if they fit in at all. Um, but our next guest here on the Hangtime Podcast has a, a really good handle on Danny Ferry and, and his history, uh, certainly in Cleveland and around the league. Brian Windhorst uh, of ESPN.com is joining us now on the Hangtime Podcast. Um, and, Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. Good to hear your voice again, my friend. Let, let me ask you, you know, were you as surprised as Lang, myself, and a lot of other people who have watched the Atlanta Hawks kind of – incubate their team the past few years to see Danny Ferry come in and do what he did in such short order? Well, you know, when Danny got the job, I I talked to him a little bit about it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about the situation the Hawks were in. And one of the things I I said sort of in passing, I was like, well, you've got the most untradeable contract in the NBA you got to deal with. (laughs) And um, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't speak up to disagree with me. Uh Um, But, you know, look, I I think Joe Johnson's still a good player, but, I don't think he had. I don't think he had his best season last year, and the contract only goes up, and he's only going to get older. Right. And I just felt like um, you know, that was going to become an albatross to do anything. I mean, uh, uh, but you know, 
anybody can take a team down. I think, um, uh, you know, it, you know, it's it sort of half of what Sam Presti did. I mean, if you go back and look at Sam Presti, his first, his first uh, month on the job, he traded two All Stars. Right. He traded mm-hmm. Ray Allen and um, Rashard Lewis in a sign and trade. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Donnie Walsh, you know, he did a great job in New York of taking the team apart. It, anybody can sort of take a team apart. It's it's the putting it back together that's the hard part. So um, I think what Danny did that's remarkable is he was able to move an enormous amount of money off the future books today. Yeah. And that's not something often um, clear them to have so much flexibility. But what you do with the flexibility is really what's going to define him as, as in that role. Brian, what can you tell us? I mean, I know you covered Danny when he in Cleveland there. Um, you know, as a as Hawks fans now look at Danny Ferry and wonder what kind of GM they're getting. Um, what 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 can you tell us about him and the the way he's going to approach you know being the GM of the Hawks and and also just the kind of you know organization he's going to want to put together in Atlanta. There's some remarkable irony here when Danny Ferry <laughs> took over as the Cavs GM, it was also the same week as the NBA draft, just like it was um, uh, this year with the Hawks. And he wanted Chris Paul very badly um, because it was Chris Paul was in that draft. Uh, But he literally had nothing to trade. He had $28 million in salary cap room, which until, ironically, again, the Heat um, cleared that space um, six years later, um, was the most salary cap space in NBA history. Hmm. But he literally had nothing else. He had no draft picks. They'd been traded away. He only had like four or five guys under contract. So his only option was to sign free agents. And at the time, LeBron James had played two seasons, was an all-star, but you know, not an MVP. And the Cavs had had four coaches in seven years and had not been to the all-star, or had not been to the playoffs. They were located in Cleveland, Ohio. And so not only did he have, all he had was salary cap space, was not negotiating from a position of strength. So he proceeded to spend the salary cap space on overpaying free agents, most notably Larry Hughes. And he hated having to do that. And even though the, the Cavs were successful doing that, it really changed the way he went about um, team building. He, he, from then on, wanted to have a lot of flexibility with his roster and really spent two or three years trying to make sure they did. I used to call it the, the fairy flexibility principle. Um, now, it's a little bit easier when you had a guy um, in Dan Gilbert who was willing to spend money and that you could take on guys like um, Shaquille O'Neal and Antoine Jameson and uh, things like that. But the reason they were able to make trades for those guys was because Danny Ferry kept his roster very flexible. So that's what I think he's doing here. And the irony is it's his first moves on the job were not to add $120 million to the payroll, but the strip, um, you know, what was it, 80-something million from the payroll, and potentially put himself in position to get the guy he wanted six years ago, Chris Paul. We'll have to see how that all plays out. But, um, you know, he, so he's very big on having flexibility. And whether that was learned by, you know, tough experiences Cleveland or whether that's what he just believes in, that's what he's going to do. He, he's, he's going to try to keep his roster flexible. And he had, uh, until yesterday, what looked like an inflexible roster. Right. Brian, in in the aftermath of the Miami Heat coming together uh, a couple years ago and, and making consecutive trips 
to the finals, winning a championship, losing a championship the first year, winning one. How big of an impact do you think the instant success of of that group specifically has had? And I just I was asking Lang about this earlier. The instant success they've had. How big of an uh, an impact do you think that's had on their peers around the league? Do you? I happen to think it's had a huge one, but I'm, I'm I could be wrong. I just feel like if if Chris Paul and some of these other guys are looking, and they're saying, well, they work for these guys. And, and we know them, we've played with them in, you know, in the summer on Olympic teams and, you know, and that stuff. If it's worked for them, it should be able to work elsewhere. Do you think t- guys are looking at that and wanting to model that same ideal of how to put a team together? I think um, it really started with the Celtics when mm-hmm. they put that big three together. What was it, 2007, I guess. Um, and they won the title the next year. Yeah. And, boy, did that excite everybody. Um, and it just so happened that the best way people thought to, to do the same thing was to do it through free agency, and so everybody saved their money for 2010. And, you know, there was, you know, a handful of teams that tried it. The Nets, the Knicks, the Heat, uh, the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, and the success rate has been about what you'd expect. One team ended up pulling it off, and... The Knicks are still trying, but I don't like their championship hope with this roster. And the Nets are still trying, although they've whipped two years in a row. And, you know, there's some other teams that, you know, the, the Bulls ended up giving their money to Carlos Boozer and regretting it almost 15 minutes later. So um, I think now you're looking at the, the pendulum swinging back the other direction. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do it through trade. <laughs> um, you know, because in free agency, you don't always win. You know, uh, and so now I think teams are trying to do that uh, via trade. And so um, I don't think it's a good direction for the NBA. Um, That's why I felt that in the CBA uh, on a Friday afternoon in November, where nobody really paid attention to it, the uh, owners dropped the request for a franchise tag. And I was just completely devastated that that wasn't included because, I think it killed the chances of parity. Um, but obviously it didn't happen. And so now you're looking at a situation where you have um, six to eight teams that are looking to have three superstars, and the majority of them are high, are, uh, are highly desirable destinations like Miami, like New York, um, Chicago, and, and uh, you know, the, 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 Gold, the Golden State Warriors are praying that they can join that some way, somehow. Um, and then you, the other, like the little small version of it is, you have some teams that have got lucky in the draft or were really good in the draft, but that's a small, that's a, that's a much smaller way to go. And then you have a whole bunch of teams fighting to be in the middle. I really don't like that development. And as you can see right now by some of these moves that are getting made just this week, that new salary cap uh, enhancement or that new luxury tax enhancement <laughs> it ends up scaring people away. Yeah. Because um, the Nets look like they're willing to spend $150 million and the Heat, while uh, their owner cries all the cries about it is looking to go into the super tax next year so um you, you know you're right that you're very right to say that that's the way teams are going to go and why wouldn't you if you look at the last four champs you look at the celtics uh, the lakers uh twice uh, the mavericks and the heat and um you know three of those you know the, the, the mavericks didn't have a classic big three but you know the celtics did the lakers did and the Heat did, that would be a, a reasonable way to try to build your team. Yeah. Well, speaking of building teams, Brian, um, let me give you a, a plug. You did a piece 
during the draft, you were in the war room with, with the Cavs. Um, it was a really interesting story, I thought, and behind the scenes with the, with Chris Grant, the GM there, and the, and the front office. And what was that like for you? And, you know, we always try to guess what's happening there. What was it like to actually be in the war room there with, with the Cavs? Well, I think that um, the Cavs had a very interesting draft because they had, um, had two picks, and they made the, the biggest surprise pick of the first round. As far as where the guy was taken, maybe Perry Jones was the biggest surprise, but surprise pick. And then uh, they made the biggest trade, moving up seven spots. That was the biggest move. So they were very interesting. They were in a very interesting situation. And what I will say about this is that there's some drama in regards to trade, um, but they're trying to trade for the number two pick that night. They didn't get it done. Then they were able to, tr- to make a trade. But as far as the ranking of the players, all that work had been done. And, and I was, you know, having been in on their process and then coming out and hearing a reaction, people thought that they, like, they had gambled or taken a risk or panicked or some of the people when they took Deion Waiters at number four. And going into the night, they had Deion Waiters ranked as their, as their, as their guy there if they had to take a four. And um, that may not have been a choice that was well-known, and that may he not may not have been a guy that was um, you know highly touted going in, but their process and what they had decided way before the draft was that that was the guy they were going to take if Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and Bradley Beal weren't there, and they weren't, and it, it just felt exactly how they how they graded it. There was really no emotion whatsoever in it. There was they were way more emotional when they were able to trade up seven spots and take Tyler Zeller, even though Tyler Zeller is probably going to be a, a, a role player for most of his career. And they're counting on Deion Waiters to be a really good player, hopefully a great player. Um, but all the, all their even even what they were willing to trade for the pick, like when they were when they were negotiating on trying to move up, it was not emotional. It was this is what we've agreed to offer. We're offering it. You don't take it. We're moving on. And so, I, you know, I, you know, and every team I'm sure operates a little bit differently. But the idea that there's screaming back and forth and guys running around and the owner slamming his fist <laughs> at the table and. That wasn't the way it played out in Cleveland. Yeah. Brian, you talk about the situation in Cleveland, and, and we mentioned some of these other teams who are, in, who are not in, in the Heat's category, not in the, in the category of teams, ch- you know, really seriously giving chase to the Heat. How do, how do LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and the rest of those guys down there, how do they sit back and look at this summer in terms of the pack chasing them not only in the East but around the league? Are, are they feeling like they're in a pole position now, or do they still kind of play with a, with their backs hunched up a little bit, realizing that, you know, you won one, but you talked about so many more that there's going to be that, that same pressure to go out and try and win it again next season? I think they'll feel it when they get back. I think right now they're on a pretty big high. I, I think they feel like everything they did was validated. Yeah. And the, with everything that – with the new rules that were put in and the struggles – of teams trying to mimic them, I think they're thrilled they made the decision when they did. I think they're like, look, um, we waited an extra year. We couldn't have pulled it off. We're grandfathered in, and we're in a great position. And uh, I really do think it's in great shape for at least two more seasons. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can get comfortable because the Thunder are such a threat, and I expect them Really, you know, if you look at the Thunder, they've come back better every year. Right. And so, you know, how could you not respect what, what they're going to bring next year? Um, but if you look at it, 
Um, I don't think they fear a New Jersey team that has J.J. Uh, 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 Johnson and, uh, and Darren Williams. I mean, that's a formidable opponent. Yeah. Um, you know, if Dwight Howard goes there, let's see how they play together. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think they fear that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Celtics look like they're bringing the band back together, and I, I always will have respect for them. But they've beaten the Celtics in the playoffs two years in a row. Yeah. And uh, I'm not adding a 34-year-old Jason Terry going to keep them up nice. Um, <laughs> Derek Rose, we don't think – I mean, we're hoping that he all comes back, but we don't know what the Bulls are going to even look like next year. Yeah. Um, I think they, I think they immensely respect the Bulls, and there's some other teams with decent futures, but they're not really mature enough to get there yet. So I don't think they look at the East and say we're afraid of anyone, even with the Nets making their play. I think uh, they feel they probably feel really good about their chances of getting back to the finals, and then you know probably facing uh, the Thunder or somebody else who's going to be a good challenge from the West. Yeah. Well, Brian, it, just like the the players down there in Miami. Um, you have earned your summer, my man. Uh, we appreciate you coming on with us. Try and enjoy this little bit of downtime as best you can, and uh, and we'll see you down the road. Sounds good, guys. We'll talk to you later. All right. Brian Windhorst of ESPN.com. Ooh. Interesting insights on uh, not only Danny Ferry and the Miami Heat Lang, but, but around the league. And I'm telling you that I just keep having that feeling that, you know, and he and he took it back even further, back to – the summer of 2007 when, when Miami, you know, when Boston's big three got together. There's, there are times to me when you can kind of see a shift in the in the mood in the league. And um, that might have been the model that inspired LeBron, D-Wade, and, and Bosh even to get together. And now, you know, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, and potentially Dwight Howard in Brooklyn, I, I, you know, I can just see players, the you know the the clock the clock going off in their head like, hey, I got X number of years to try and win it all, and I and I'd rather do it with some other guys I know what they're capable of as opposed to just sitting around year after year and working my tail off, but not knowing what you know what else might be or might not be coming down the pipe. So it's it's interesting. I think. Uh, takes the league into a totally different direction that I that I didn't see coming before, like I said, before Boston's big three even got together. You know, the other interesting thing there is that the, the teams that are doing this are putting together these big threes, but they're not – I mean, they're they're paying market value for these guys for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Maybe a million less or whatever, but, I mean, they're still – you know, these guys are getting well into the double digits per season. Um, and, I, you know, I wonder if at some point it, you'll see a guy – take a lot less than he's worth to be in a big three or to be a part of something like that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what, where that guy is, but there's so many different players year after year who are, who are going into free agency and having these choices to make that, you know, it's, I guess it's only a matter of time before we see somebody do that, you know, somebody decide, right. I'd rather take that route than, you know, I think the cool thing too is, uh, and I'm I, you probably saw this, but uh, Kevin Durant is always classy as ever. He kind of threw a tweet out there the other day, just reminding everybody, you know, about hey, don't forget about Oklahoma City. You know, like it's a great place to live and play. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> you know, when all this, t- you know, all this energy is being generated in all these different places, the Thunder, you know, and and. Brian Windhorst mentioned it. The Thunder will be back. I mean, it's not like we've forgotten about 
you know, Oklahoma City, you know, or the Heat. I mean, I brought the Heat up because when you get into free agency, like so many other storylines get cranked up. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, come training camp, the Heat, no matter what happens right now, no matter who gets traded, where they end up, you still going to have to deal with the Heat. You know, the Heat in the East and the Thunder in the West are going to be standing in the doorway for whoever thinks they're kicking the door down with their new shiny, you know, team. And um, and I think that's probably in the minds of all of these GMs and, and assistant GMs and, and free agents who are all contemplating futures is that we're, we're not just building to try and win without a, a clear understanding of exactly who's in the way of that process and that, that being Oklahoma City and, and the Miami Heat. Yeah. So. Well, Am I allowed to go back on vacation now? I'm thinking about letting you go back. But then again, we got US, Team USA training camp cranking up in Las Vegas this weekend in Summer League. So, no, nah, we'll be back next week. You're going to, you know, you got to steal away a little time for the Hang Time podcast, my friend. We took a we took a hiatus last year with the lockout, and uh, we owe we owe everybody to, to keep it moving on the uh, Hang Time podcast here. So, no vacation for you, my friend. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about with usa basketball too let's we'll do it next week absolutely absolutely vegas will be the center of the basketball universe next week uh as you know july 11th rolls around and players all over the place are signing their names on the dotted lines of these uh new deals and uh uh you know summer league will be cranking up and team usa will be out in las vegas playing so we will come to you live from vegas next week i will be out there laying and uh we will crank it back up right here on the Hang Time Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Special shout-out to our guests, Brian Schmitz of the Orlando Sentinel and Brian Windhorse of ESPN.com. We will see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. Follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 